Hello, I'm Toby Haydock. People keep giving me podcasts. I do wish they wouldn't. My latest victim has been showing me all sorts of newspapers. I wouldn't have guessed quite what a life has been led by the gentleman I'm about to speak to. So we're going to start by me saying, asking him to introduce himself and tell me why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. But I think we'll be talking about rather a lot besides. Um, I played Ike Clanton in the Doctor Who's first Doctor Who series uh, with William Hartnell. And um, he, his billing was William Hartnell and then William Herndell. No one, everyone thought it, it was his name twice. Oh, because you, get second, bill- you <laughs> get second billing in the episode. Yeah. And the other thing is the internet gets confused because when William Hartnell died... And they, they buried did, me. Well, they, uh, <laughs> not quite. They did a story called The Five Doctors and playing William Hartnell was Richard Herndell. Oh. So quite often William Hartnell and Richard Herndell yes, get yes. conflated yes. and then they confuse it with you. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, so do you remember how you got involved with playing a good part in The Gunfighters? Yes, um, I, I went and read for it with uh, um, Innes Lloyd and... Uh, Rex Tucker. I, I, I read just saw a few pages and they said, Yeah, okay, fine. And um that was about that's all it it's all it took. And um then we started we rehe- we started film pre filming. And that was amazing because we were filming at Lime Grove and to keep the horses calm, we rode out of the studio into Hammersmith. Dressed, uh, we didn't have the guns. That's the only thing. We weren't allowed to take them out, and we rode round about five of us in cowboy outfits round Hammersmith at like ten o'clock in the morning or eleven o'clock, something like that. Nobody said anything or waved or did. It, it was the sixties, remember? There was no reaction from the public whatsoever. Oh, but that the the funniest thing about. That the next studio were doing a film with elephant charge in it, and they had about four elephants. And they, because they couldn't get the um, run of the elephants, it was, the studio was a little bit small. They opened what they call the end of the studio completely and flooded it like like it so it, it all matched. And then they, they then drove the elephants into this into the scene that way. And they were from the circus. And when they saw all the lights, they all stopped doing what they were doing, got hold of each other's tail and went round in a, in a circle, you know, like, we're on, girls. And it, and that was, that was a, that, those sort of things used to amuse me rather than sometimes what I was doing. But uh, William Hart was, was, was marvellous. He wasn't in the pre-filming for, this, um, for the, the horse bit. No. And they married him much later. But he and I, we hit it off through fishing. You know, he was a dry fly fisherman and so was I. And so we knew a lot about different rivers and um, different um, fly, obviously. And when fishermen talk, uh, mm-hmm. it happens. And um, 
it, it was a very it was and there was a lovely man Englishman who had been in My Fair Lady a film called Don Alderson John Anderson John Alderson oh John yeah. Alderson I'm afraid I don't know whether he's still with us or not no he 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 moved he moved, he passed away in America in his oh, retirement home in uh, I'll go California. right fine but not not but, only relatively within the last ten years uh, right but he was he was a great fun and he took a big shine to me because. Girls come up to me, but not him. And so he stood next to me everywhere he could <laughs> and cast in. But he was a, a, a tremendous gambler, you know, um, which he, 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 he'd been warned off many courses with Bill, Sergeant Bilko, Phil Silvers. Yeah. But he would go to the dog racing here in White City, and he'd win £900, and he'd show you the next morning. £900 I won. That next day, he'd say, well, like, lend me a five until... Because you know. <laughs> he lost it all. Yeah. Um, and you said you said you knew Donald Cotton, who wrote... Donald Cotton and, and I were great friends from a, a, a club in London called the... <laughs> Kismet Club in Newport Street. It was an actors' club opposite, which nobody went to. But they, all the actors went into this club called the Kismet Club downstairs bars and it's very strange you went out of the pub at three o'clock and into the the bar uh, like uh, not a club club Christmas club there and we met and I used to go and stay with next door to his family and he had a house in Thorpe Soken and we used to go for drunken weekends that's all they were uh, but uh, we had fantastic time because I don't think I'm a great intelligent person, but at least I can I know a lot of things. <laughs> Rubbish they may be, but we, we all got on. We all there was Ted, there was a, a very nice producer called Mavis Locke, a BBC producer, Children's I think she did. But she come down. I mean, it was all um, party time from Saturday morning when people arrived till Sunday night when we left. And that's how I knew Donald Cotton. And also he'd written, I helped him with his pond book, as he called it. I don't know what the title is. He wrote a book about pond life. And he had all these jars and things. And he'd asked me to look for these things and say, what are they doing? I said, they're going swimming backwards and forwards. And he said, oh, yeah, have they changed colour? No. Those questions. Mm -hmm. And then he... um, But it was quite... And then we'd meet in London and have lunch and... um, um, but he was he was uh, he was um, he was a great he liked telling stories you know sometimes he didn't have any end though you know <laughs> well his scripts are very very funny oh yeah 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 yes. um, uh, and uh, it was directed by we've just seen a front cover of Ariel which is a picture I'd not seen before of uh, as viewers like Clanton and and Rex Tucker's there so yes. Rex the director on his only Doctor Who yes um, I remember I remember him being not the person you would think to be directing a western. No, just <laughs> <laughs> what you felt. But he he was very good with with um, the cameras and very good camera, and he had a, a very good cameraman. Can 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 Westbury? Yeah, yeah, yeah excellent man. Really, really good. Well, the film work on the gunfighters mm. is, is very good. We've just mm. watched a little bit of it. Yes, and, yes, uh, mm-hmm. it, it looks it looks. It looks pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and doing a Western on British television is not no, the usual thing. No, and the accents were very difficult to contain all the time. But I still, I've always thought that an English person can't do an American accent, really. Uh, mm. Although now it's so 
translating all over the word is that you know that as long as you do every fourth word with a yeah or something, it, it works. Whereas John Alderson, although he, <coughs> he was, was English, was steeped in America. Oh yes, wasn't absolutely he? yes. But he did a lovely Newcastle accent too. Oh really? And he got a part as a big wrestler, a Newcastle wrestler or something, you know, you know, for the BBC, and he was very good in it. But he um, he did have, he had this finger missing, and he did have trouble with his gun. <laughs> if your trigger finger's not there, that's yeah, going to cause you yeah. a few yeah, it did, yeah, yeah. But, it was, but he taught us a lot about the, the gun, the man who, who give you the gun, the armourer, I think that's what you call him. He told, he, we had a fan, I think, in one scene. I don't know whether we, it ever got printed. But amount of ammunition you had to sign for, and, you know, you, you, although it blanks, you still sign for it. I got from Doctor Who and the Gunslingers, I got the thing for the Sunday Times uh, Westerner, the Western bad man, um, which paid a lot of money because it was a, a commercial uh, which ran Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, every, you know, for, for half an hour. Oh, really? Advertising the Sunday Times supplement. Okay. And it was about how the West was won or something like that. But it was me. I'd done two beer commercials. Not many people can say that. Big ah, ones. No. One was for Bass in Ireland, which was fantastic. It was, uh, I played the captain of a, of a rugby team, and the theme was blindfold, and then three beers, and you've got to say which one was Bass. And it was that month, or that time that they had to use real they couldn't do the fake anymore in the in the takes ah okay and uh, they didn't but it was very difficult to use fakes and then the real thing at the end because of the lighting was close and tight you had very little room to work you know and you had to get the bath sign at the right place and, but that paid very very well and then i got into the commercial for the cigarette business uh, with um uh, for Australia, but they shot them here. And that also paid very well, but that's why I got into this tax bracket. Right, because I was going to, that was going to be my yeah, question. Yeah. Most actors don't, don't have to worry about the top no, tax no, no, bracket, no. so you must have been doing very well, and yes, that was from, from adverts. From adverts, in the, it, the taxing was going to be in one year unless I got out. Yeah. So you went to France? Well, well, yes, I did. But first I went to Ireland and I had John Hurt, a friend of mine. He'd gone to live there. Um, Peter O'Toole, who no one speaks to, he'd gone to live there. And uh, some other friends had gone to live there. And writers, friends of mine, had gone to live there. Because they do theirs on a four-year thing. you know. So if you do a, a successful book in England at that time, I think it's changed, I hope it has, you've got... Tax on that year of the sale of the books, right? Yeah. It's not the same now, I hope. So I went, I thought, well, I'll do that. It's easier to come back with some fours and they speak English. And I like Guinness. It rained every day for the six weeks I booked. I went right down to Park Masillas, right down the south everywhere. Rain, rain. And I thought, no, I like sun. So then I went to Saint Tropez. And there again, I, the, the luck of my life has been un, incredible. I went to the, I, I got to, um, first of all, I have to tell you, I went to the wedding, of, uh, when I was at the Opera House, I went to the wedding of Mario Fontaine. And at the table I was at was also Errol Flynn and 
few other people and we got chatting and you know how you do and he taught me a lot of things about hiding up the food under the lettuce and on the store you know <laughs> we'll be hungry later and you know it was like kids but when I got to Saint Tropez uh, he gave me his card and said if you're ever in in the south of France not Saint Tropez if you're ever in the south of France please come and stay on the boat so I went into the south of France, and I was so green. I didn't. I, they said, Where do you? I said, I want to go to Spain. They said, I said, Saint-Tropez. They said, it's in France, OK. Nice. I said, all right. And it was in the days you could only take £20. I think that was all you were allowed to take out. Well, the, air, the, the taxi fare from Nice to Saint-Tropez I, I, was, was about three quid, which was quite a lot out of the 20. Yeah. And I was looking for it. And then I saw the boat, the... the Sarah or Salaga, I can't remember the name of it. And I went on board and I showed them my car. They said, oh, come in, we're empty. You can stay here. So I did. And I was six weeks on that boat because I had six weeks holiday. And I never said I wasn't anybody. I didn't say I was anybody. But when I came on that boat, because what boat it was, there was cars with girls waiting for you, you know, take, to take you out. And you, I came back with a two. I had to buy a suitcase to, with presents that I'd been given. Ah. Two suitcases of presents, and um, I, I, I had to go to. Um, he arrived for about four or five days, but uh, his wife then was Patricia Weimer, and she wanted to buy some shoes in Rome, and he said, "You take her with him. You take her to Rome." So we, it was nice and gentle, we were on a, on a uh, taxi to Rome from Saint-Tropez. And uh, she, she did all the financing. And then we went shoe shopping in Rome. It was unbelievable. I mean, they recognised her. And they, they knew I wasn't a chauffeur. Or, uh, they didn't know who I Good-looking, well-dressed. What? Doesn't matter. But we had to have another taxi for the amount of shoes that she'd bought to take back. And we spent two, two nights there, I think. Anyway, I, I, I left that boat, and the next year I thought, oh, I'm going to do it again. Right? So I did. I went down, and there's no boat. But what there was there was this fellow trying not to be sick in the port, Lance, who I used to drink with a lot in, the, in the Soho. And he said, I got my father's boat. We don't, wherever you're staying, you're staying. So I had an, yet another great boat, <laughs> a really big yacht, to stay on. And I didn't, I mean, he, he, he only stayed, Lance stayed about four or five days, but he told all the crew and everybody, look after him till he wants to go. There we go, I'm out, there's all the girls, well, he must be somebody. And if you don't speak, I, I did speak French a little bit, but um, if you don't, um, you, you, know, you aren't telling any lies. You know, you're not mm. saying I'm a big star from here or I'm doing that. You don't say anything. It doesn't matter. As long as you behave in a fashion. But you must have something for all these people to have shown you such generosity. You see, oh, you oh yes, 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 yes. I have. I, I, I think I'm the. At one time, I was the only member of our sort of clique who wasn't a multimillionaire. And uh, they've always, they've always been very kind with me. But it stopped a lot, a lot, lot now with the uh, money thing. You know, no one sends you first class tickets to come and stay for the weekend. They don't do it now. You're lucky to get a train ticket. You know, 
But the, before that, they if they knew your situation, that you were sort of... I was always a penniless actor, you know? Mm-hmm. And they would send you the ticket for you and your partner. And so if they didn't know who the partner was, you could take anybody, you know? And then the people who own Burger King, and they're still great friends of mine, and, and um, all, all the people have big plant... In San Tropez, it's rich, 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 and I was there at the right time, so I met them all on their level. Mm-hmm. And then I lived... Then I emigrated there. Oh, and you, but you still worked in entertainment? Yes, whatever I ever something doing, I, I did it, you know, because you're your own free person. And um, I also... Were <coughs> I, I did this art thing for a while um, with this French woman called Gilbert, but her, her, she was a widow of the Texaco Oil Company, so she had a lot of money. And uh, she's the one that took me in, looked after me um, in uh, Palm Beach. And, like, she let me, I used her house with her or without her, and she, we had a flat and we, see? I had a flat in Genoa, Paris, London, New York. I only travelled with her jewel case. That's all I ever carried. Cause I, I had clothes made in all the places, um, which was still just a penniless actor, you know. But I knew so many people, and the people used to in, on the on the south of France. Once they you have a. They used to call me the king of Saint-Tropez in those days because anything, if some somebody come in on a boat and they say, look, we'd like to give a dinner party for about 90 people, and we, we know 10, can you... They knew the people that I would bring, I could bring 50 people, would be OK. So you were the sort of fixer, the social Oh, oh yes, like that, yes, yes, it was. It was exactly like that. In fact, they said that in my trial... In the well, in the high courts here, for three years ago, you are a you were the fixer of the south of France for anything, because you see I could I could get people tickets for the Grand Prix or the opera the, at um, Monte Carlo. It it all happened be because of my previous records, mm. and uh, I still I mean I still keep in touch with a lot of them, uh, although I haven't been back with three years, which is a long time. But it was all to do with... You You, you met directors there, you said, oh, I wish I'd have met you ten years ago, you know, and that sort of thing. But it was still great fun. Um, you were still doing... Because you sent me so many pictures of you, you were still doing acting oh, jobs yeah, here. Yes, oh, yes, 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 yes. You, and the... the, the um, the company would come. A company would come down to Saint Tropez. For example, there's a, there's, a, there's many there's many um, films called the Gendarme of Saint Tropez. There are like the Carry On films of England. These are very funny films, and I was in about three of those. And there, there again, you have made some new friends. You know, and French actors are very easy to know. Yeah, very easy and yeah, very kind. But you, you, I never, you, I, I didn't get, I got, I had a lot of parts where I was the only one actually in it. Uh, oh, I also did masses of work for the London Film School. I felt I, I felt I had to do that. So I never sat, st- you know, a lot of actors sit about. I couldn't do that. I really couldn't do that. 
And so I used to go and do things, you know, put things for them. And some of them were very good. So the young, young Greek director, it was through that Greek director, I got a Greek film 20 years later. So, oh, so you've done sort of um, student films and then... Years later. They remembered you. And yes, yeah, you. yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. And you must be, I think you must be the only actor from 1960s Doctor Who who has so many cuttings here from Hello magazine, where, yeah. as I have to say, comfortingly for me, they spell your name completely differently every single time. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, they do. Yes, they uh, do. And so this is, and is this the this sort of was stuff more, you were fixing? Uh, I was doing this, and also with... Um, uh, Roger Moore should be on some of them. Yeah, Roger Moore. Yeah, because uh, he and I did the auction, you know, for the charity. It's all charity parties. And most of them I did were for the leukaemia. You could say, look, the tickets are £500 each lunch. And I'd like you to buy 50 And I'd like you to give them to the hospital nurses of here and there and there. You know. And they, he... he he, if he didn't answer, uh, his secretary knew, but you got known by that. It wasn't a con. Everybody on the south of France, I con. I got caught uh, uh, with a. Um, uh, that's another story, but I got caught for quite a lot of money. Um, uh, but it was uh, the the party. I mean, I, I people would. Cancel parties to come to my dinner parties, which used to be about twenty people in my villa. But I had the bottom only the bottom part of the villa, but I had the garden because of the dogs. And I used to have, I used to have what they call one, uh, two door party, three door party, four door. Take the doors off and make trestle tables. That was well known, you know. And and um, the my girlfriend at that time. And two girls from next door, brilliant, brilliant cooks. We, I mean, we could we could outcook anybody in the in the nearly in Saint Tropez, and uh, um, people loved coming because I I used to invite a couple of princesses and two carpenters, electrician. You know, I mean, I really they all had something to talk about. They and when they've had people had a few glasses of wine, they they don't mind if he's a he's been. Doing your gate or painting your gate last week, he's there now. That was my outlook, and it worked. And uh, you've mentioned that you, um, you, as well as mixing in those songs, you married an opera singer. Yes, she's the one that was the White Witch of Great Britain, <laughs> right? And the week before, she was under contract to Covent Garden, which I had helped a bit, and she. Just been, you know, they start them very young on small parts, and she was just getting this, the the shepherd's boy in your new for the old lady in, in um, magic flute and things like that. And when this story broke, she never got any more parts other than the parts she'd already got. Because she was this, because uh, but you you had no idea of this. No, did not you? at all, not at all. But I mean, I had when when she came on stage at Covent Garden. I was still working at Covent Garden. I was working with the Royal Ballet then. And she came on, and all the stage hands had big brooms like that. And when she she came across, the, they all got on there, but automatic. <laughs> they they didn't plan it. They just did it. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. It really. Was. Now, tell me, you, you mentioned the, the the trial way back in the conversation, and I, you you have to tell me about this island that you uh, 
that you were the show. Oh, yes. Um, I had gone to this island. I'd seen the film about it, and I'd always been interested in nature. My, in fact, I used the nature's beach in Saint-Tropez only um, because they allowed dogs also. This, this is a 45-minute ride by fast craft to this island. The Il- it's called the Ile de Levant. The first time I went, it was terribly great fun. Everybody was laughing and joking all through the day. And, and you learned to code about the gate or the door, or whether you could, you couldn't, or you should, or you shouldn't. And um, the next time I went, it was all sort of... Half the hotel sort of seemed empty and dowdy and things. And I had read that they were going to put electricity on. And they say, oh, yes, it's nearly, it starts next week or something next month, the electricity. And then it suddenly occurred to me, people weren't going there. It wasn't anything to do with electricity because they all had power generators and things. It was the fact that you, you didn't, you could go nude on any beach in Saint-Tropez. Most beaches, or certainly topless on all of them. So people didn't now want to get into a boat, spend an hour or more getting out and sit on rocks, right, and come back... But I thought, what it, it was when AIDS, just, AIDS had just started, and I, uh, it, it was explained to me by a London doctor that it could be something like leprosy. You know, this is very early on, and I had this idea about this island. I thought, you know, we'll make it. Uh, I'm not going to say leper colony. Leper colony. Anyway, I, I talked to two businessmen. They couldn't. They couldn't. They said, you, you're, "You're hired. You're hired now. Here, go and buy it." And as I'm a French resident. I, you can't buy things like that by companies, but I could buy them as an individual, and I could turn them into a company. All legal, all legal. Took about a year and a half to buy the things, and then they discovered that the water on the island was poisonous. You couldn't even shower in it, and they, that, I did the tests. So now it was going to cost three million pounds to have the electricity was there, but three million pounds or euros, pounds, pounds to take water to the island. So now it comes to time I have to resell it back to the people without t- trying to make a loss. Luckily for me, the, the pound had gone the right way, so I didn't lose any money for the company, but I didn't get any money. But I, I worked on a thing called, I thought, a expense account. Right? Therefore, I was allowed to take the shares. I took uh, 33 million shares. Right. And these 33 million shares were in my name. Every week, every year, you've got a booklet saying what they were and all that. And suddenly they went from, well, these shares, that's my brother, these shares went from naught, when I got them, naught point zero zero one of a penny, which was nothing, to 11p. Point north and twenty p point north. So you're talking about a few million pounds because I had thirty three million shares. And then suddenly the tax man, they're called the financial brigade, knocking on my door saying, "You owe us two million pounds in Saint-Tropez. I said, "What?" what, what, what? And then I, you, you know, it's always a joke, isn't someone looking for the camera? And they said, no, 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 no. And then they saw that I was genuine, and I rang up London, and, they said, and then my partner here said, who the hell's done that? And then they found out that one of his partners had got a dodgy accountant 
who'd, changed, who'd gone and sold them to him, his son. Um, oh, he said, what a mess it was. Anyway, they said, you have to sue. And I said, oh, well, I, I had heard that when you don't have your... I didn't I had no longer the certificates. They'd gone, right? I, I, they'd been signed by me when I received them, so that if I had to tell them quickly, it would be done. So, anyway, I spent three years fighting this thing and lost. It was quite equivalent to about £10 million, I think. I lost. But I also lost all my own money backing it. And my partner lost a lot more than me because he backed it as well. Because, you know, um, I made one or two um, good friends with the island because I, I didn't let them lose any money. Right. The other, another thing I did, which was uh, before that time, in the, I made a company for artists, painters. And I had about 40 on my book. Never had any galleries, but I booked galleries a year ahead. I bought the Australian painters to Europe, the American painters to Europe, the Australian painters went to America, and I did it like that. And the French went to America, and they. Uh, anyway, it worked very, very well with the help of, with the name of Renoir. You don't need much more help than that. No. <laughs> and also the Duchess of Bedford, she got in on the act, and she, she, she's a scream. I don't know if she, she's still alive. But I suddenly found myself one day with the Duchess of Bedford, Lady Wavell of Wavell, you know, the last viceroy of India, and Lady Churchill and Lady Janet Bailey. And I'm the only man at this at this table. And um, they, they liked it. They, they just asked me, uh, you know, how are you young people getting on with this and that and all that sort of thing. And then within, literally within a couple of years, you get these invitations to their funerals. Uh, that was, that's sad. It is, but also, I mean, what experiences you've had, and this latest experience that you've just described, you know, losing £10 million and all that sort of thing, but it hasn't diminished your... No, lustre. no, because I, I'm practical, if you know what I mean. <laughs> now I have... Um, I eat a lot of rice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, because you called me yeah. from uh, from Bangkok. Yes, yeah. Well, look, I've um, I've I've exceeded the time I promised I spend spent with you because um, it's such a fascinating story. Um, we on the DVD for the Gunfighters, Peter Purvis recalled you very fondly and said you were good mates, uh, and that he 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 said he met you once and that you'd married well, and then he never saw you again, and he always wondered what had happened. So uh, hopefully uh, now he'll know. Yeah, yeah. You remember Pete working with Peter? Oh, very much so, because we also used to meet in the BBC club. But we had the great time with Tony Booth then, and uh, there was a snotty little... I, I, he, he played for the BBC Football Eleven. Tony Booth? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I went with him and this snotty little girl... Who, I'm big in my mind, horrible, you know, whatever you did, mind. And um, she had that, oh, it's a snotty, you know, she was snotty. And he didn't take much notice of her, but he had to have her that weekend. And she turned out to be the Prime Minister, <laughs> uh, and I often think of that. Uh, I cuffed her a couple of times, and when we got off the train at Waterloo, she wanted to go to the loo, and I said, there, she said, well, you have to come with me. I said, no, I, she said, you have to come with me. And I said, no, no, and I stood outside the loo. That's what she really meant. But the way, she's a very strange girl. 
And she ended up being the, yes, the consort of the Prime Minister of Great Britain. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just one of many fascinating in- encounters that you've but had. He, he, yeah, he, 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 do you know, I don't know whether they still do it, but that was a lot of fun. We, we, we met, made over £100,000 in those days, this football team. Yeah, and you know we'd have Bernard Breslau. He's dead now, poor son. But yeah, he's the goalkeeper. And then there'd be a huddle in the goal, and everybody come away, and he'd be tied up to the goalpost and <laughs> jokes like that. I mean, it it all we all it all worked. Fascinating stuff. Mm. Well, look, well, okay. uh, you you must uh, nominate for me uh, a charity uh, because. But it... the, I nominate the Actors Benevolent. Uh, Excellent, and yeah. it's it's a tiny tiny entry into a, a fascinating and colourful life, but Doctor Who, which you were in in the 1960s, is 50 years old this year. Marvellous. continues to fascinate people and was the jumping-off point for our conversation. So there will be lots of Doctor Who fans listening to this podcast. What is your message to that uh, very rarefied bunch of people? I think they've got excellent taste. That's a very nice one. Well, and we've got here a letter, which I'm going to read. It says, Dear Bill, I hope this catches you before you depart for Hollywood to join John Alderson in Western extravaganzas for years to come. I'd just like to say that I thought you made Ike into a very mean, nasty, moody character. It was a relief to see you come out from behind your makeup in the evenings and to find that you and Ike really had nothing in common. I hope you'll come and join us again sometime in the future. And that is signed, Best Wishes, Inners Lloyd. Well... You didn't join Doctor Who again in the future, but I'm very grateful that you joined me for this. And it just remains for me to say, William Handel, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Phil. Thank you very much. That was great. I hope that was all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating stuff. Well, what a fascinating fellow. Um, he was talking about Lance there at one point, who he bumped into in saint It was only afterwards that we worked out that that was Lance Percival. Um, <laughs> normally, perhaps one of the biggest names to be dropped in a podcast, but not this one. Um, that was about a three-hour conversation that uh, I, I struggled to get down to half an hour, so I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks very much to Mr Handel, who is a fascinating fellow and many of his stories were unrepeatable so maybe when I write Doctor Who Babylon uh, the week before I die some of that can come out Um, his charity is the Actors Benevolent Fund www.actorsbenevolentfund all one word all small case .co.uk Actors Benevolent Fund Uh, thanks for listening and the next podcast will sound a little like this I found it very moving because my uncle Came with from with the New Zealand Army. Came, went in the First World War, went to Gallipoli, and was killed at Gallipoli, right at the very top, on Chanak Bear. There's a memorial there. So I, I sort of had quite a strong feeling about that as a think of all the dead and forgotten people, really. You know, um, so I, I thought it was a, a powerful story, really. I, I like. And particularly at the beginning, because he began with this characteristic joking as, Oh my god, where are we now, kids? Sort of, we're in mud here, struggling along, and then suddenly, just in the left of frame, at the bottom of the frame, you see a little bit of barbed wire. Really. Doctor Who Babylon, Doctor is a wise man, a philosopher. His companions are honourable. If they prove false, they will answer to the sword. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Early Adventures. 
The Doctor's Tale. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Quite so, Barbara. We are pilgrims, sir. My friends, you are most welcome to stay. They've been burning houses. They will cry havoc on all England. I demand you release my husband, the true king. The queen? Is she really the queen? Sir Ian of Jaffa, at your service, sir. Ah, truth and knowledge are the enemies, hmm? The old man, has he gone wandering after his wits? No! He'll fetch Arundel down on us! Barbara, I have to stop him! Must the doctor die? And his friends? Your Grace, this is my time. The time of chaos and misrule. Big finish. We love stories.